0: Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. There's not much to say about October 24th, except to note that it's only a week until what is sure to be the oddest Halloween ever. And it's National Baloney Day? I'm not sure why on earth anyone would be celebrating baloney, but I can tell you straight up there is none on today's show. Just some amazing interviews with incredible women from across Canada, starting with Erin Kelly, who is the president and CEO of Advanced Symbolics Inc., a company that uses artificial intelligence to augment market research and prediction. ASI's patented AI named Polly correctly forecast a Trump win in 2016, not to mention Brexit and the last Canadian election. Polly is definitely creating buzz, and you'll want to hear what she's predicting for the election south of the border this year, as well as what she's hearing here at home. Anne Brody has a whole new list of movies and shows that can't be missed this week, including David Letterman's third season of My Next Guest Needs No Introduction on Netflix, and Radium Girls on VOD. October is Children's Vision Month, and I'm joined by Dr. Stephanie Dotchin, a pediatric ophthalmologist, to discuss some of the more common eye problems children might have and what you need to watch for. Plus, she shares her thoughts on keeping those eyes in top shape with all the extra screen time your kids are getting using the 20-20-20 rule. AMGEN Scholars aims to inspire and equip a new generation of health leaders and innovative researchers. Dr. Molly Shoiket and Alicia Chin, a recent graduate from McMaster University and scholarship recipient, join me today to share how the program works. Allie Payne, our expert on teen and parent relationships, joins me to discuss how to break patterns. And not just your teen's patterns, but the ones you've possibly carried over from your adolescent years. Thankfully, Allie has a plan for you to start a new path with your teen today. Finally, Canadians are falling in love with their own country again as travel restrictions keep us close to home. Unfortunately, a lot of us forget that we still need travel insurance when travelling within our own borders. Nina Desai from Manulife Financial joins me to share a recent survey they conducted and what you need to know about travel insurance in 2020 before you even pack your bags. It's another full hour here at what she said. So let's get rolling right now on 1059 the region. In 2016, many were stunned when Donald Trump won the presidency in the US, immediately casting doubt on the validity of polls that clearly showed Hillary Clinton winning. Four years later, there is a healthy skepticism surrounding polls, but there was one poll that forecast a Trump win in 2016, as well as the outcome of Brexit and the results of the last Canadian election, to name but a few of its accurate predictions. Advanced Symbolics Inc is a company that uses artificial intelligence to augment market research and prediction. ASI's patented AI named Polly is predicting a Biden victory. Aaron Kelly is president and CEO and joins me now. Welcome to the show Aaron. Hi Candice. So most polls call people up and ask them a series of questions and then that data is then compiled. How does Polly differ? Well, Polly, the big way that she differs is in the size of the sample
1: that she's uh, that she's looking at. So your typical pollster will have, say, 1,500 people in their sample. Polly has 300,000, and she's looking at them all longitudinally. So it's important to understand that her method for picking people to study is the same as the method that another pollster would use. So it's a randomized controlled sample, meaning people don't volunteer to be in our sample, In our case, we don't ask any questions. We're listening to people in social media. But it's important to understand that while people will say not everybody's on social media, et cetera, exactly, that's why we sample and we make sure we have a balanced sample of people from different age groups, ethnicities, socioeconomic factors, so it looks just like the census. And we monitor these people over the long term. Uh, We can go back and see what their politics have been all year, how things change with different news items. So that's really the key is that it's a large sample of people. It's representative. It's not everybody on social media. It's a representative sample. And we're looking to see how their opinion changes with different events.
0: So when you say social media, are you talking all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, or just a couple of select ones?
1: Well, Polly can look at at all in this particular election. So what we because we're getting it's important to understand because we're sampling, it doesn't actually matter which platform we're we're using. So we will use different platforms for different things. So Polly doesn't just do politics. She does a lot of work in healthcare, etc. So depending on if we're doing marketing, we might, if we're doing tourism, we might want to use Facebook. Uh, or Pinterest for travel and different things. In this particular case, for this election, we're using uh, Twitter. Uh, we can use because we find that's really good for a political signal. But we can use Reddit, Facebook, any social platform.
0: Okay, so let's talk about 2016 for a second. Then, was there a moment uh, where you saw a clear shift to Trump, or was was this something you were sort of as a gradual shift to him? Because I think a lot of people would like to point to the October surprise of Comey, for example, and say that's what changed it. Was that, or was there more of a gradual move?
1: Well, that didn't help. But no, it was it was more of a gradual move. So we saw as early as August 2016, people starting to move toward Trump, and there were a few things that stood out. Number one, um, the, you might remember. So there was a there was a controversy back in 2016 with some corruption. Uh, in politics. And we saw a lot of people, uh, some of the older people, move out of the Republican Party, older people, into the Democrat Party. They were making announcements, taking up press releases, saying, we're moving over to Hillary Clinton's camp. And these were some of the people involved in the banking scandal and stuff like that. And Hillary Clinton embraced them. And Donald Trump said, I don't want those people in my party. They're corrupt. Okay. And that's when he started the whole corrupt Hillary thing and that really hurt her and not only that but these people who over 65 who said they were moving over to the democrats actually moved back to the republicans be, by the you know before the election happened so she didn't actually get that seniors vote the other thing we saw is trump's message in michigan his stump speech where he said what do you have to lose by voting trump when he was addressing a black audience and he said you know hillary's going to be the same old same old and your schools aren't good and your your children aren't getting employed what have you got to lose? And that really resonated with people and we started to see a change. Uh, the difference is that when people would take part in phone uh, polls, they didn't admit that they were, f- that they were feeling that change because to, to admit to a person that you were gonna vote for Donald Trump seemed to be uh, admitting that you're a racist or homophobic or sexist or what have you. So people didn't publicly admit it, but we saw online that they started paying attention to his, to his speeches more. Because we can follow, the other thing Polly can do is follow what's called your digiographic profile. So she sees what you choose to read. Again, we're not collecting names, no privacy issues. It's just high-level trends. But what people are, when people are starting to spend more time reading material devoted to Donald Trump, for instance, than Hillary Clinton, then that gives us some hints about uh, how their vote is changing.
0: Okay, so we're less than a couple of weeks out from the election. So you are predicting a Biden win. Is there any way you think trump could pull this off and be president
1: yes there's a 10 percent chance of that so if you go to our website advanced you'll be able to actually see the map updated every day so important to watch it every day because anything can change between now and november 3rd for instance when uh when the president got covid and subsequently seemed to recover from covid he went up by 20 electoral district votes in that space so uh you know, that that was a significant jump. Now, he came back down when people started to think he wasn't taking it seriously, etc. But he did get a bump from that. So if, for example, there's a better treatment that comes out that he makes available to people, or if Joe Biden has uh, a moment, you know, he's called, you know, people call him Sleepy Joe, and there's a meme out there that he's that he's not all it's not as sharp mentally as he used to be. If he seems to show that this could bolster trump and bring down biden we still have a margin of error of the 86 votes so it is it is possible that mr trump could win but we we don't think it's probable there's a 90 percent chance of biden at this point
0: okay so let's turn our focus to canada for a second because you know i was just reading that there is you know seemingly the election drums are beating here are you gauging the appetite for that among canadians uh we're, we're not specifically looking at that. We are looking
1: at the popularity of politicians in the COVID era, <laughs> and we've seen, so in March, April, March, April, despite what the media were saying, people were actually quite resilient back in the spring, and we gave many interviews saying that, that yes, there were vulnerable populations, but those were the populations that were already vulnerable, and they were seeing heightened uh, stress. Uh, but people, by and large, were really happy with the way the prime minister was handling things and the way the premiers were handling things. We've now seen a divergence, especially for the premiers of the provinces, because often they're the ones delivering the bad news, right? They're the ones saying we're going to shut down, um, etc. Whereas the federal government is more the coming out with the with the care packages and the and the money. So we are seeing that provincial premiers, as well as the um, health bodies, the heads of provincial public health are really taking a hit in terms of public sentiment uh, versus so that would not be a good time for example for many of the premiers to hold an election
0: okay and aside from elections you also are listening to other things and you're tracking other things like COVID-19 so what are you seeing with that
1: well, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to talk about, uh, so just to back up, we, do, we have one contract to do uh, forecasting of COVID cases uh, in Ontario. Um, and we are at the point where we have reproduced those, uh, those cases. We're not at liberty right now to talk about uh, what we have found, but what, some of the things that we're looking at uh, aside from forecasting when the next outbreak will happen, is how do the outbreaks happen? So some of the questions as researchers were looking at, does every person who has COVID spread COVID, or is it really just 10% of the population that spreads COVID? Because there's two ways you can look at it, the r naught which is each person infects two or three people, or a K dispersion, which is one person actually disperses the virus to, say, tens of or dozens of people. So we're looking at that to see how it spreads. And some of the clues to that, you can see on the Ontario government, There's it shows you when, when a, somebody gets COVID at a school, you often see one, 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 one case in a school and it doesn't break out. Why is that? Versus in long-term care homes, when you get one case, you often get then dozens, right? So uh, there's different ways that this virus spreads and, and you have to learn those things so that you can better ascertain where the next outbreak will happen, where you need people to get tested, and what kind of testing do we need? For example, the nasal tests, which are very precise, but take a long time, relatively speaking, to process, versus the cheaper ones that are less sensitive, but if more people are taking them in a K dispersion, that would be a better
0: test. Okay, I I wish we had more time to talk about this. This is absolutely fascinating technology. So if people want to know more and learn more, where can they find uh, more about Polly and more about uh, your company?
1: Well, we have our website, advancedsymbolics.com. We're going to be putting out a a show called Ask Polly soon, where people can come in and ask Polly kind of questions like this that they might have that we can answer about um, human behavior and we have a blog on there so people are free we, we invite comments if people want to see us write about particular issues that are of interest to them that they can ask Polly we'd really love to to have that
0: feedback incredible thank you so much for joining me today Erin. I really appreciate it thanks Candice like stick
2: around More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And we're going to start by talking about David letterman today i yeah. absolutely adore david letterman i used to watch his show religiously uh and he sort of had this really this really big resurgence in popularity due to netflix and his beard <laughs> yeah he's someone you want as a friend right or a rel- well, he's so he's so self-deprecating and yeah. and and just seems very humble and um sweet really yeah, Under- underneath that grumpy exterior yeah, which I think is a fake, but it's it's funny.
3: So season three of uh, my next guest needs no introduction with David Letterman is on now on Netflix, and it's got Kim Kardashian, Lizzo, uh, Robert Downey Jr., and Dave Chappelle. Oh my God, what a lineup! He couldn't have captured more timely people, so it's great. Kim Kardashian. I think he's quite taken by her. They had a really good long conversation, whereas the other segments had a lot of distractions, like doing things and recording things and walking with llamas and stuff. But he just talked to her. She was so, on. well, there was one thing she didn't answer, but she was very giving and forthcoming. And actually my esteem for her, which was pretty much non-existent, is up there now. She was great.
0: That's interesting, you know, because honestly, I would have to be, I would be hard pressed to watch anything with Kim Kardashian for right? longer than 30 seconds. So, um, and so I was intrigued to see that he interviewed her. So I will watch it, but do. because it's Dave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let me know what you think afterwards. Okay. Absolutely. So what do you have for us next?
3: Well, I have Fishbowl, which is a tremendous weird film on uh, video on demand It's about a Baptist father and widow and his three daughters who look alike. They have long blonde hair. They're perfectly dressed. And I think they live somewhere in the Bible Belt. Anyway, he's having a breakdown. And um, the only thing that's keeping him sane is the coming rapture. So he's very controlling with his daughters. And of course, they act out naturally. Um, The way it's shot is eerie. It's almost like, you're seeing them through a dream or through a fog. I mean, it's perfectly clear, but it's so intriguing. Uh, and I, I can't think of another movie like it. It's getting raves in, in festivals on the festival circuit. Now it's available and I would really recommend it. it. The performances are just out of this world and the guy who plays the father and what a performance. He's a stunt man.
0: This is like his second acting job. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. it's so you you oh also god. you raved about, you know, you send me notes every week and you raved about uh radium girls. Oh my god,
3: yeah. Who knew? You know the old uh glow in the dark watches from the 20s right up to maybe the 70s and the glow in the dark radios and all of that? Pure poison. So young girls used to get jobs in radium factories back in the 20s. It was the rage. There was radium water to drink, radium beauty products, uh, food products. It was used widely. It was a big crush on it. There was radium dance. And as we know now, it destroys tissue really quickly. So these girls would work in a factory painting watches, and they lick their brush under instructions to make the image smoother. And, of course, they all started to disintegrate almost before our eyes. And this focuses on two sisters. Uh, one of the girls, who they both work in the factory, one of them begins to lose all her teeth and then her job begins to disintegrate. The other one um, decides to fight the company. So she finds some activists, some anti radium activists. This is back in the 20s, and organizes a group and launches a lawsuit against the corporation that, that does this work, the Ameri- American Radium Company. And their activity and their activism is just so admirable, and it's based on a true story of sisters in in New Jersey. It was uh, it was a real eye opener, and the film also touches on um, the uh, destruction of native lands, on racism, all kinds of timely issues today. It's it was surprisingly interesting. And where
0: not, you, where do you catch Radium Girls in the then? world? Of good, pardon me. Where do you catch radium girls then? On VOD. Okay. So that's another VOD. All right. Yeah. We've got one more before uh, we wrap this up for this week. So what do you got for us? And it, I, I see you have one. Okay. I agree.
3: <laughs> Oh, I, very quickly, Mark Webber and Teresa Palmer star in The Place of No Words, which is a fantasy dual universe thing, Vikings versus modern day Australia. But I have to talk about Year of the Goat on CBC Docs this week. It's about five goat far- farmers in Ontario and Michael McNamara follows them around for a full year focusing on the little kids the peewee division of the competitors at the Royal Winter Fair everything leads to the Royal Winter Fair these goats are adorable they hop and jump and skip they've got personalities they're they can be really sweet they can be really jerks and the people love them to pieces to me that was the high moment this week, watching a year of the goat.
0: Okay. Excellent. So you've got all of these and more listed at Washington on the website. So uh, thanks so much for joining me again. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Joining me now for our regular segment on parents and teens is Allie Payne. And today we're going to be talking about patterns. And I don't think you're talking about patterns found in math or fabric. So what are we talking about?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess we can call it patterns or perhaps we can call it cycles. um, Whatever it is that feels most uh, resonant with you. What I want to talk about is that hopeless yet frustrating feeling of when we're watching ourselves and usually our teenager do the same dang thing over and over and over until you just want to like, ah! but you can't, but, but we don't seem to ha- to see ourselves in it in a way that it, we stop it. And so it just keeps going on and on and on. And it's not really, it's not helpful. Usually they're not healthy, and they certainly don't take us to the place we want to be as a person or with our teenager.
0: Right. And I think what we're, what we're forgetting is we may see the same patterns in our teens, but also we are probably in the same patterns as we react to them,
4: Correct. Uh, Absolutely. So it always takes more than one person. And there's psychologists and psychiatrists sometimes call this a polka, like it's a dance. Every relationship has a cadence, it has a dance. And that just like there's a pattern to a waltz or a tango, there's a pattern to the way that we interact. And what I want for parents, because I think this is truly, really empowering, rather than feeling so frustrated and hopeless, is to just as you would write out a pattern or a, a recipe, how to cook a meal, what is the pattern that you notice between you and your teenager? And take a pen and paper and actually write down, they come home from school, I hear them say this, and then I think this, and then I say this, and then they do this, and then and then there we go. Because when we start to write down the pattern, that's when we are empowered to change it. Exactly. And it only takes one person to change that relationship.
0: And sometimes the pattern, we carry this pattern, uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier, we carry this pattern from our own childhoods where we have now flipped the role uh, <laughs> yes. of being, you know, from teenagers to now we have become our parents.
4: Right. And I think that's so funny because when we were teenagers, Because teenagers, we're all self-focused. That's how we are. And so we see these these negative patterns that happen perhaps with our family of origin is, oh, they were so annoying. And we see that pattern being owned by our parent or grandparent or whoever you were raised by. And it's like it lives and stops back there. When the reality is the way that our brains operate, which is always creating what is most familiar, even when we know it doesn't work, is we're far more likely that that pattern is reappearing, although maybe different flavor, same pattern, and now it's reappearing when we're the parent and we've got a teenager. Okay,
0: so how, what are some steps that we can take to sort of break these cycles? You know, my, one of my favorite sayings is, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So <laughs> let's not repeat history uh, in our own family dynamic that maybe happened to us when we were younger. So what are some steps we can take to break this cycle?
4: Absolutely. Great question. So awareness is everything. You don't have to know how to break the cycle. What I do want for you is to create the awareness of it. As I said, pick a cycle, pick a pattern that's happening in your family that you find frustrating usually with your teenager and start to no kidding, start to write down the steps, including, because you can only know your part. What are you thinking? What do you say? What do you do that creates a cycle? Then you can start to identify when you go back to the beginning of how that cycle starts, what's the first thing you do? I always say, catch the first domino, right? Those big domino runs, catch the first domino. If you can change, and you can, the first thing that you do that supports that pattern and you do that thing this much different, just one degree different, you've changed the pattern. You change the cycle. Right.
0: This is a a little like that, you know, that classic time travel conundrum, you know, if you, if you go back and you change something, it changes it forever in the future. Yes. Same thing with your teen, right?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want that for you to bring the awareness so you can start changing what you think or what you do to break the pattern. And then the second thing I would say is, you know, if it feels right to have that conversation with your teenager and say, "I love you," I notice this pattern. This is how I feel about the pattern. This is what I see. I'm doing in it that I'm going to try and change. What might that look like for you? That would be a second conversation to have. Of it, yeah. I think
0: a lot of parents might listen to this and hear that and say, "Yeah, but you know, I am the uh, authoritative yes. figure here, and admitting." Yes that I might have some role in this, uh, could be a sign of weakness or could, um, affect the relationship negatively. What would
4: you say to that? I absolutely, I honor that. And I get that in order to take ownership for anything in our lives, it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability. And as the authority in the relationship, yes, as the parent, it's so much easier to say, well, my teenager is being a jerk. And number one issue is if they just stop being a jerk, this won't happen. Well, yes, and relationships don't occur with one person. Relationships require there to be more than one. Ten people, 12, two, there has to be. And so the relationship from a systemic perspective is made up of all of its parts. And therefore you are one of those parts. The relationship is not you, but you are in that relationship. And I guess I would say is how badly do you want this to change? Exactly. How how do you want to feel about your relationship with your teenager? Because this is one step of just starting to write down on paper, these patterns that can shift it dramatically because you had the courage to do so. Okay, so if people want to connect with you then and learn more about breaking that pattern and yes. starting a new one, where can they go? Best place is my website, www.allypain.com and TikTok, Instagram. They can find me at Allie Pain, and all my posts are about stuff just like this. Okay, wonderful. Thank you again for joining me, Ali. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Candace. Take the deep breath, it's
2: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: This interview is sponsored by Santon Canada Incorporated as part of their ongoing commitment to eye care. October is Children's Vision Month, and today we're talking to Dr. Stephanie Dotchin, a clinical assistant professor at the University of Calgary, section of ophthalmology, where she is also a pediatric ophthalmologist. Welcome to What She Said, Dr. Dotchin. Thank you. I'm so, happy to be here. So I was hoping today we could talk about some of the most common vision problems children experience. So I think a lot of parents will come up against conjunctivitis, or pink eye. So how do children contract that? That seems to be the most common.
5: Yeah. So conjunctivitis or pink eye, most commonly people will think of as uh, an eye infection, which is probably the most common way that you can get it. So spreading just like the common cold, um, you can pick it up from other kids easily. But there are other reasons that kids can get pink eye that aren't due to infection. Some things are a little more rare, something kind of like allergy or something called vernal keratoconjunctivitis or VKC, we call it for short, because you trip over your tongue when you're trying to say it, just like me.
0: So, so pink eye then is not necessarily a virus.
5: Not always. So oftentimes think people think that pink eye is, uh, you know, a virus, but there are lots of reasons for pink eye. Pink eye just tells you that the eye is pink. It doesn't actually tell you the actual cause of why the eye is pink.
0: Okay. So let's talk about some more other common um, eye, eye issues than the children might come to. One that um, I remember from a childhood friend of mine is lazy eye. So mm-hmm. how, how is that? Are you born with lazy eye or does it develop?
5: Yeah. So, so lazy eye can mean many things to many people. Most people think of a lazy eye as an eye that is weaker than the other. And you can develop that from many different ways. You could be born with it, like you said, like if you had a cataract or something, you could get a lazy eye if say you have um, undiagnosed need for glasses, so then the eye can become lazy. Or if you develop an eye turn, the eye can also become lazy.
0: So it's one of those things because a friend of mine, like I said, she, she was a child, but then it was corrected. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, through, you know, ongoing appointments with her ophthalmologist, obviously. Okay. And so what about nearsightedness? I feel like that's probably a big one as well.
5: Yeah. So nearsightedness is very common. So what nearsightedness is, is when people have a hard time seeing far away. So it's the exact opposite of what you would think. And again, so what you might see is your kid kind of squinting to see in the distance. They may stand really close to the television, um, or they may say that they can't see things as well. Um, and so for that, we typically just put kids in glasses.
0: Okay. So that's fairly straightforward.
5: Fairly straightforward. Uh, Yeah. All
0: right. And so I guess the biggest one then is eye allergies, which can be experienced, um, throughout the entire year.
5: Yes. Yeah. So eye allergies can present like a pink eye and people will think, oh, it's just an infection. But the problem is, is it doesn't tend to go away without someone actually looking after the eye and treating it. So, compared to say, a virus, these kids will rub their eyes a lot they'll be like put, sometimes they put their fists like right in really deep, um, they may complain that they 're light sensitive they 'll have lots of tearing as well. so yeah, allergies are actually a lot more common than people realize for sure
0: and so do allergies though, if left untreated, can they have an effect on vision?
5: Yeah. So if you look at some type of allergy, so, so like I said, like a VKC, for example, um, this can actually go year round. And what can happen is you, the kids, because they're so itchy, they rub and they rub up and they can actually rub off the surface which, of the cornea, which is that clear window of the eye. And, uh, and then that can scar and uh, it can actually compromise a child's vision for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Last question, because I feel like this is a very important one. You know, a lot of kids' screen time has increased dramatically, Mm -hmm. and that has to have an effect on vision. So what is there any preventative steps parents can be taking um, to protect their child's vision uh, with all this increased time on the screen?
5: Well, especially because of COVID, we've seen a lot of increased uh, screen time kids going to school. And I've actually seen a lot more kids with symptoms in my office, actually, related to that. The most common thing is kind of like a dry eye. So the eye can appear pink, it can be irritated, they can have tearing. Um, and so I give the simple rule to start with of the 20 20 rule. So look at the screen for 20 minutes, then look away for 20 seconds at 20 feet. So you don't actually have to get up and leave the screen, so if you're at class, but you should just break that contact because when we're actually on the computer screen, we don't blink as much as normal. If that isn't enough, you can try artificial tears and warm compresses. And if it's even worse, then you probably need to see your eye care professional just to have an assessment to see if there's any additional things we need to do. And
0: is there any um, benefit to having like a blue filter?
5: So interestingly, so some people recommend uh, the blue filter, but, uh, the, there hasn't been great evidence to suggest that children need blue filter glasses um, to reduce the, the blue light or that that has an effect because that won't change the blink rate and the eyes drying out. And they say that actually, if you go out in the sun, you get more blue light than you do from a computer screen. And we know that being outside is a good thing. So,
0: Okay. So basically then get to
5: see your eye doctor. Yeah. If there's a concern, I would say, yeah, see your eye care professional for sure.
0: Okay, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Dotchen. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.
4: Knows, yeah.
2: Uh-huh.
4: Uh-huh.
6: Stupid girls. Stupid girls. Stupid girls. Maybe to call me
0: type. Amgen scholars aims to inspire and equip a new generation of health leaders and innovative researchers. Bringing together exceptional students with world-class mentors offers a tremendous opportunity for collaboration, innovation, and discovery, unleashing the potential of these future innovators and scientists. Joining me now is Dr. Molly Shoichet, the only person to be inducted into all three of Canada's National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Health Sciences. Trust me when I say this is just a sliver of her long list of incredible accomplishments. Also joining me is Alicia Chin, a recent graduate from McMaster University. In 2019, she completed her eight-month co-op term in the laboratory of Dr. Shoiket at the University of Toronto, where she used a chemically engineered hydrogel to investigate an aggressive brain, brain cancer called Oh boy glioblastoma. Welcome to what she said
7: ladies. Thank you. Good morning. You.
0: Wow that was quite the introduction I gave you guys. I was reading this going don't mess up any of the words. <laughs> <laughs> and there, your accomplishments are incredibly impressive but tell me about how the Amgen Scholars Program works because it is truly incredible.
7: Well, I don't know who you want to go first, but um, maybe I'll tell you my version from uh, the professor's yes. perspective and Alicia can tell you hers from the student's perspective. Uh, but uh, really uh, the Amgen Scholars Program has brought incredible, 15 um, incredible young scholars into the University of Toronto and uh, last year, and will do so in um, subsequent years as well. And uh, they joined the labs um, uh, for the summer months, and really had the opportunity to integrate into a variety of labs across the University of Toronto, and were' also given a lot of soft skills training and also the opportunity to visit Amgen itself. so really bringing those two worlds of great um, academic science together with great uh, corporate science.
0: So what did this mean for you, Alicia, when you did this?
6: Yeah, so the Amgen program it was it was great not only because you know we were literally in labs of world-renowned scientists and doing cutting-edge science but a lot of the program was also about making connections and really networking um and I guess a little bit of a plus for the program it was actually majority women so there was 15 scholars um 10 of us were female um and the program was also directed and coordinated by two women as well um, so that was great, of course, being mentored by phenomenal women who themselves are also scientists. And of course, Dr. Shoy-Kitt, um, who is phenomenal in her field, of course. And I was also working alongside a PhD student in the lab, a brilliant scientist, her name is Laura Smith. Um, and it was just great overall being able to, you know, do science um, and contribute in a way that I think is really empowering for women and and, and also just in science overall. So what, do, what does that meant for you since this, uh, since last summer then? So, I mean, I'm, I'm a graduate now, um, but even just looking back from myself right now to being in the program, I think a lot of the skills that I've developed in science, of course, I've have, have grown so much. Um, and I mean, over the summer, I was supposed to start in the lab. Um, but of course, with everything going on in the world, I'm actually going to be starting back in the lab in September. Um, but I think in terms of development as a researcher, um, as a scientist, as a collaborator, of course, I've been able to hone in on those skills and, and really kind of broaden and see a little bit more of what my calling is as a scientist. So the program is great for that.
0: Dr. Sharka, what does this mean for you when you mentor these young uh, scientists uh, in the laboratory?
7: You know, I have such a great job because I am surrounded by brilliant people like Alicia. And you don't have to hear her speak for too long to realize (laughs) that, uh, you know, she's super smart and super engaged and then also just a lovely person. And so that uh, is wonderful. I try to attract people like Alicia into my lab at every level. You know, she joined the lab as an undergraduate, but We have so many people in the lab at the graduate level, postdoctoral level as well, that are these brilliant scientists. And, you know, when you're trying to overcome really big problems in medicine and we bring engineering chemistry together to solve really big problems in medicine and, and try to answer questions in biology, you need people like Alicia, you need people who are smart and creative and innovative. And so I was um, thrilled to bring her into my lab and also uh, thrilled to bring her back into the lab. Um, and, and also, you know, in science, we really need to have these inspired people um, trying to solve these really big problems, whether it's, you know, in engineering and medicine, where my lab is or in environment or in energy, the world, you know, we're facing. And of course this huge, health pandemic issue, you know, we're facing these really big problems. And so you need really creative people to come together from multiple disciplines to solve those. So tell
0: me then about how this scholarship addresses um, inclusion and equity, because as I understand it, this is a huge part of the MGEN scholarship.
6: Yeah. So I guess I can touch on that a little bit. Um, so the Amgen program was bringing in 15 students from across Canada. So it was, we were definitely, I mean, culturally diverse um, students from different backgrounds, but also in terms of disciplines, we have myself who I consider myself more of a chemist. I'm in chemical biology, but we do a little bit more organic chemistry. We had people who were in engineering and biochemistry, neuroscience, um, and there was also students who came from different provinces. So we had some students coming from very small towns in Nova Scotia, where they may not have had such opportunities to really leave and go to. Toronto, where this is, we're kind of this huge research hub. Um, So bringing in students from different places, you know, places that are maybe a little bit more rural, places that are more urban, um, students coming in from different academic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds, it was such an enriched experience because everyone was adding a perspective and contributing to a biomedical science from a different angle. So it was great.
0: So tell me, what is the most exciting thing on the horizon right now in, in the research that you're doing? What should we be uh, looking forward to? Oh
7: my I always have a hard time answering that question. I mean, I know what Alicia will say. She'll say her project <laughs> is the most exciting. And, and it really is. Um, of course, we're involved in a number of different COVID-19 projects. So we we're able to pivot the lab to try and um, you know, add to the knowledge base to try and come up with a solution. But if we talk about Alicia's project, because after all, she is here, um, that project is uh, super interesting, uh, being led by Laura Smith, and it's a collaboration with uh, Peter Jerks's lab. And what we were trying to do in that project and, and what, in fact, uh, Laura and Alicia were able to do is to mimic the way brain cancer cells invade into a brain we can mimic that in, um, in a material, so just a water swollen material, which is a hydrogel. Uh, so you can think of jello. So we're not using jello, but that's a, that's a water swollen material. And uh, in highly aggressive brain cancers or glioblastoma, the cells will, will invade into the brain. And what we were able to do was mimic the way they invade into the brain natively in these jello like materials. And you might say, who cares? Like, why is that important? And the reason that's important is because for the first time, we have a model that can mimic that in the lab. And now we can start screening drugs or even discovering drugs that can treat this deadly cancer. Because unfortunately, there's very little we can do for people with highly invasive brain cancers. And the, the lifespan is, is very short after you detect it. So that's incredibly exciting, because now we've opened up opportunities to answer questions that we could never answer before uh, and and in a completely different way.
0: And without this scholarship, we might not know about this, uh, of Alicia's great uh, science that she's put into this.
7: Yeah, we we wouldn't have known uh, about Alicia and how great she is, because I think (laughs) the Amgen scholarship brought her into the program. Um, we probably still would have been able to make some of these advances but she definitely contributed to them and and that's i think really exciting for a student to be able to contribute to this cutting-edge science Um, and then also for us to gain um, from her contributions
0: so if people want to get involved then if they would like to apply for this scholarship or learn more where can they go
6: yeah so i think honestly I don't know exactly what the link is, but you could probably just search Amgen Scholars Canada program, University of Toronto on Google, and it'll be the first link to pop up. Okay, we're going to put all of the links up <laughs> on
0: social media, on the video that goes okay. out on social channels. Uh, so we'll share that with people. Thank you so much for joining me today, la- ladies. This is, uh, you are inspiring, and uh, I wish you luck in your uh,
7: continued research. Thank, Thank you so much. much.
2: More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: bright spot in this pandemic. It's that Canadians have a newfound love for our home and native land and are eager to explore every corner of it. Nina Desai is the Assistant Vice President of National Client Management at Manulife. With over 19 years in the insurance business, Nina is joining me today to share some valuable information that all Canadians need to hear for travel within their province and outside of it. Welcome to the show, Nina. Thanks for having me, Candace. So Life recently conducted a travel survey, and there were some pretty surprising results from that. So what did you find?
8: So we conducted a survey online in July of this year. And what we found is while people who travel internationally, Canadians who travel internationally, majority of them will take out travel insurance, less than 50% of Canadians that travel domestically take out travel insurance. So there really is that gap, and people just don't seem to think they need coverage as much in Canada when they're traveling domestically.
0: Right. So, you know, I live, you know, in Ottawa. Quebec is right next door for me. Uh, And it seems like I'm not going very far, but really um, I would need travel insurance, correct? So let's just say if I went over to Quebec and hurt myself skiing, What would that look like for me?
8: Right. So just say you're coming from Ontario to Quebec for a ski trip and you break your leg. I mean, knock on wood, but just say you break your leg. It could happen. (laughs) I'm not the best skier. So if that happens, um, standard things such as ambulance transportation and the cost of paramedics would be an additional cost that you wouldn't be covered for. So whereas you're covered through your government health plan for those costs in your home province, when you're in a different province that type of a cost isn't covered by your provincial health care plan. Other things such as certain drugs or if you're getting an x-ray outside of a hospital at a diagnostic facility, All of those costs aren't covered. So it's really not end-to-end coverage that you would have going from province to province. And so that's something that we feel that Canadians need to be aware of.
0: Right. And those costs, you know, if anybody's ever seen, you know, received a bill for medical service, say, outside of the country, those Mm -hmm. costs really add up when you see them on paper.
8: Exactly. All of a sudden, your three-day getaway to Quebec has become a lot more expensive than you planned for.
0: Exactly. So what if a person has
8: group benefits then? Do
0: they still need to have travel insurance?
8: So that's a great question. And with respect to group benefits coverage, a lot of plans do have a travel insurance component. They also are... um, situations where individuals have credit cards that have travel insurance on it as well, but you don't know how much you need. So what we would always advise is that you check with an insurance advisor or take a really good look at your group benefits policy or your credit card policy to see exactly how much do you have and is that enough? We wanna ensure that when you travel, you're sufficiently protected. And so you might need top-up coverage just to make sure that you're covered in case of any emergency.
0: Right. It's better to be a little bit overcovered than mm-hmm. undercovered. Better safe uh, you know. than sorry. Absolutely. Exactly. So I imagine with the onset of COVID, the insurance industry had to adapt fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. How have you integrated coverage for COVID-19 into your
8: cover me travel insurance? So we recently, as recently as last week, launched a COVID-19 pandemic plan, which does give individuals coverage if they're traveling under a level three advisory so while we are advising all canadians to only travel when it's essential we recognize that people need to travel for family or for work or for business and there's no way to avoid that so if you are traveling we do have a plan that you can purchase which will protect you
0: Okay, let's talk about the snowbirds for a few minutes, because normally at this time of year, they would all be flocking south. Uh, I, I, Most are staying home, but I am hearing stories of some that are insisting they are going, they are escaping this winter weather. So can they still get coverage?
8: So first and foremost, I would recommend anyone that is about to travel, particularly the snowbirds, to check with their financial advisor and an insurance advisor, and even possibly their physician. Are they making the right decision? Should they be traveling? And then they need to take a close look at the plans that we have to see if they'll be eligible for any of them that can offer them coverage if they were to be impacted by COVID-19. So we would strongly advise that they call in to speak to a licensed advisor or that they get in touch with their own financial planner to better understand what they need to travel safely.
0: So if people want to know more then, is there a place they can go to uh, read up on this? Maybe is there a checklist they can um, hit to make sure they have enough
8: coverage? Yes. So it's just a one-stop shop location. So if you visit coverme.com, you'll find all the information that you need about our various travel insurance plans, including the pandemic plan, as well as a 1-800 number that will let you call into our licensed sales center, where you can actually talk to an advisor if you need to, to figure out what plan is right for you.
0: Okay. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nina. This was great. Thanks for having me, Candice. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.